Good morning, church. Our reading this morning is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, church. You may have a seat, and uh, it's good to be with you on this first Sunday of our Advent season. Let's pray, and then we will uh, jump into this text. Father, uh, we are gathered once again under your name, and we want to praise that name. We want to make your name renowned. We desire to glorify you and everything that we think, everything we feel and do and, and say. Help us uh, where we are tempted to walk in error. Help us as we even consider this text this morning when we uh, give ourselves over to fear and anxiety. The world is a scary place. We, we acknowledge that, but help us to define the courage that you so desire to give us. You've given us the courage in Jesus Christ, and the gospel proclaims his goodness in the land of the living. So help us to see it all the more clearly this morning. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've read the, the Chronicles of Narnia, and I know a lot of us have, uh, the last book is the last battle. Uh, C.S. Lewis in that book uh, is taking uh, the reader uh, into his version, and into Lewis's version of heaven, into a new or true Narnia. And in the very end of the last battle, speaking through Lucy, C.S. Lewis writes this. He said, she says, isn't it wonderful? 
as we get to New Narnia, isn't it wonderful? Have you noticed no one can feel afraid even if one wants to? Try it. And so what, what Lucy is saying and what is the reality that, that even David is speaking of here in Psalm 27 uh, is that you're going to know when you're in the presence of God, you're going to know when you are in heaven when it is impossible to even notice fear. Fear won't exist. There'll be nothing to be afraid of in heaven. And in our psalm this morning, in our text in Psalm 27 this morning, David is, is showing us a very same reality that when the kingdom of heaven, when the kingdom of the sun breaks through into our existence here, into a dark world, amidst all the reasons to fear, there's so many reasons that we could fear, but we draw confidence from our good God. And we do so as we wait. So we are a waiting people. We are waiting for that new heaven and new earth. We're waiting for the true and new Narnia to, to be ushered into our presence when there will be absolutely nothing to fear. There will be a total absence of anything to fear on that day. But we wait. This is where we are today. As we look at this particular psalm this morning, you could really look at the last verse, verse 14, as a good summary of the entire psalm. And again, David says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And so this morning, we, we want to consider exactly that. What does it look like to wait with courage? What is waiting with courage on the Lord? This is, as Jason mentioned, the first Sunday in Advent. Uh, this is a time of year uh, set aside uh, in the church calendar in particular to consider uh, the arrival of Jesus Christ. We both look back at uh, and really align with and empathize with the people of God 2,000 years ago waiting for light to break through into the darkness. And so as we remember that, we also look forward to the day where Christ comes again. So in, in many ways, this is a season of anticipation. We, we anticipate the birth of Christ. We, we read the stories. We go over the, the various uh, nativity scenes and uh, scenes that are out and about in the world, the lights, the, the trees, and we can remember and anticipate Christmas Day. We also anticipate the day where he comes again, when all darkness will be gone forever. How do we wait courageously? That's really the question that's, that's before us this morning. Uh, we're going to take a look at waiting all throughout our Advent series, at our, this Advent season. Uh, this morning, how do we wait with courage? Courage. Well, David has some insights here in Psalm 27. Here's the main idea if you're taking notes. Courageous waiting for the Lord is single-hearted. Courageous waiting for the Lord is single-hearted. The heart is actually mentioned three times in this psalm. In Psalm 27, we read about the heart three, three different times. And so as we consider the heart, I want to ask three questions this morning. This will frame our entire time in Psalm 27. The three questions are, what might the heart fear? What does the heart say? And what should the heart do? What might the heart fear? 
What does the heart say? And then what are we to see our heart do? Those are the three questions that we want to consider this morning. So the first one is, what might the heart fear? Look at verse 3 again. Though an army encamp against me, David writes, my heart shall not fear. David says his heart shall not fear. But where are his particular temptations to fear? Where, where is it in this psalm that we might be afraid? That certainly it seems that David could be tempted to be afraid in this psalm. Well, he lists several things. You no doubt heard them as Sam read it to us. Verse 2, evildoers, adversaries, foes. In verse 3, an army, an, an, an enemy. In verse 6, In in verse 10, you skip down, and and now it appears that the enemy is even closer. It could even be family members who have forsaken David. Uh, In verse 12, we read about false witnesses that breathe out violence. It's a lot to be afraid of, it would seem, in David's life. The Psalms give us a wonderful insight into the emotions and the experience of God's people. Uh, and, And it speaks, including in this Psalm, directly to the experiences of the Psalm writer. In our in our case this morning, it's David. David's writing about something very particular in his life. And you've probably, uh, if you've read First or Second Samuel in the Old Testament, you uh, get an insight onto some of those things that David is afraid of. You read several stories of the of the things and the people that David had to run from or be afraid of. But the beautiful thing about God's word in general and the Psalms specifically is that it also speaks to our experience and our emotions. Even though we may not uh, exactly have the same experience as David, we were under attack. We know what it's like to be fearful. So the question, who are your adversaries and foes? Who are your false witnesses? We read a a text like this and we would immediately uh, begin to ask those questions. Some of us might see ourselves as our worst enemy. And there's a lot of truth to that because uh, it is true that no one lies to you more than you. No one breathes out violence on you more than you. So maybe if I ask the question, who is your greatest foe? Who is your greatest enemy? You, You might truthfully answer, it's me. No one sabotages you more than you. Even, even a, within this past week, I've said out loud some things in front of my family that were uh, incredibly uh, unhelpful. They were lies about myself. Uh, they, were, they were in despair. They were in hopelessness, speaking lies over myself that came from within. Here in uh, Psalm 27, it seems like David is most concerned or speaking to some sort of external threat. David makes these references that we've already mentioned of adversaries and foes and an army that's encamped around him. The world is a scary place. The world is a broken place. We, we know that. I didn't, I didn't have to tell you that this morning. You've walked in here already knowing that, already experiencing that in so many ways. When we're honest, we, we do recognize that 
Uh, there are often people in our lives or groups of people in our lives that uh, seem constantly to mean harm for us, to constantly be encamped around us. We can even uh, feel that in, a, in a, an emotional way, maybe even physically we feel that we are at war, that we are being threatened. Sometimes life seems to be a fight for survival. It seems to be a fight against the, the forces of darkness that we see all around us. Maybe it is uh, at work. Maybe it's some type of soft persecution uh, with friends or family. Sometimes our enemies are under the same roof. And that's, that's when it gets really, really difficult. David, David speaks about this idea in verse 10 when, when he says, my, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. There's a particular pain that comes from those who are the closest to us and should be the most loving toward us, and yet we fear them. And, and there's a lot of pain for those that we should have been with forever leaving there's a particular pain. There's a lot of people that know this type of pain, this pain of being forsaken. This time of year tends to amplify those painful emotions all the more. This, this after all, is the time where we see uh, joy rightfully and we, we enjoy being with other people and community seems to be so much sweeter during Advent and Christmas time. And yet, uh, for some of us, what lingers in the background, what never seems to fully go away is this fear of being abandoned. It's like it hangs heavy in the air. It's like a fog sometimes, a rem remembrance, even in this time of year, that Perhaps someone has forsaken you. Some of you have had to deal with false witnesses. We again read that in verse 12 that David talks about false witnesses that have risen up against him. Those are breathing out violence. Someone in your life flying about you. Has someone slandered you? I think about some of you in this room who uh, are currently a part of a, a broken system, but a, a system nonetheless that has allowed children to come into your home and the foster care system and how some of you have literally been lied about. Some of you have been misrepresented, purposefully misunderstood. What is it for you? What does it look like when others seem to speak nothing but lies about you and over you? can be overwhelming at times. Even, even this week, I was having yet another conversation with uh, a brother about uh, someone that he knows who uh, came forth in the church they were attending of, with accusations of abuse, that this, uh, this woman had uh, experienced some significant uh, misbehavior from one of her pastors. And once again, we saw this familiar story, heartbreaking story of her not being believed and actually her being cast out. Who are our adversaries and foes? Who are the ones that tend to hurt us the most? And we know those, those people who tend to hurt us the most are the ones that we would have hoped would be the most loving and caring over us. What's interesting here in Psalm 27 is that David very possibly is writing about his own son. 
Uh, his son, one of his sons, Absalom, if you've read the book of 2 Samuel, uh, Absalom is one of David's sons that actually rebels against his father. Uh, Absalom uh, begins to lie about David. He even gets a part of Israel to betray David, and he has a literal, literal army ready to go up against King David. And you can only imagine the heartbreak and dread that David would have had in such a scenario that his own son would be willing to kill him, would be willing to lie about him, that he's been forsaken by a close family member. And what's remarkable about that fact, about the story of Absalom, if indeed David is writing about Absalom, that, that is all happening because of David's sin. Because if you go back and read when David sleeps with Bathsheba and has her husband Uriah killed, God said that the sword would never depart from the house of David and that God would raise up evil against David out of his own house. Now, given that, you might, you might wonder if, if David would ever have any desire to seek the Lord. You would wonder if David would have any desire at all to run to the Lord. I know that I would be tempted to think that the Lord, that God is out for me, that God is out to destroy me. All these things are happening because of my sin, and I would only make the conclusion that these things are happening because God is wanting to punish me. He has it out for me, and so I would avoid that God. If that is true, I would avoid God. I wouldn't run to him, run away from him. But we see in this psalm that that is not the case for David, which leads us to the second question about our hearts. And that is, what does the heart say? What does the heart say? Well, David's heart says in verse 8, look at verse 8. David's heart says, your face, Lord, do I seek. David does not dread the Lord Despite all these things that are likely happening because of consequences of David's sin, David knows the Lord and seeks his face. He is set on seeking God. Whether or not our foes and enemies are a direct consequence of our own sin or, or whether there are those who have forsaken us, whether there are those who are lying about us or have lied about us, may our hearts say with David, your face, Lord, do I seek. David is single-hearted. I mentioned that in the main idea that courageous waiting is single-hearted. And, and I mean by that in verse 7, look, it says, the one thing that I have asked of the Lord, the one thing, the single thing David's heart desires is to be with God, is to see his face. We, we see this longing, this waiting. There is something that David is longing and waiting to be a part of, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to meditate in the temple of the Lord, to hide in the shelter of the Lord, to be concealed in the tent of the Lord, to be lifted upon the rock of the Lord, to sing and make shouts of joy to the Lord. Is your one thing is my one thing to be with Emmanuel. Is our one thing to be with God with us. We confess that we so often find other one things in our life. 
What is the one thing that when fears begin to uh, encamp around us, when threats seem really weird and, and, and really close, when uh, darkness seems to be caving in upon us and, and we're tempted to give ourselves over to fear, what is, if you're honest, in that moment, what is the one thing that your heart desires? Is it the Lord? Is it to seek the Lord? You know, so often our one thing is, is not God. Our one thing is something else. It's a distraction. It's alcohol. It's food. It's pornography. Maybe it's just simple binge watching of TV or escaping or mindless scrolling. I don't know what it is for you. Could you be honest? What is the one thing when these things seem to be so close? We need help. And we're so encouraged that David shows us the way. Uh, Verses 7 through 12 of Psalm 27 actually encapsulate a a prayer. Uh, This is a prayer of David. David speaking about the fears, speaking about not fearing, wanting to seek the Lord in all things. And then he prays, beginning in verse 7, he prays that God would actually give him grace and that God would answer David We see there in verse 8, it's actually God who speaks first. Verse 8 says, you have said, meaning God, seek my face. The word of God says, seek me. And then David speaks back to God, your face I seek. You see, when our heart fears, our heart can say, it is you, Lord, that I seek. Your face I do seek. Sadly, this is not often our heart's response in the midst of fear. As we've already mentioned, thinking about all the various ways we, we tend to avoid seeking the Lord when we fear. If, if the choice is fight or flight, which is a, that's a choice that we hear about often when we are faced with troubles, that we can either fly away from them, retreat, run away in fear, flight, or fight. And some of us choose fight. Some of us choose fight, but it's a, a retributive response. It's a, it's a response that seeks vengeance immediately out of fear. Instead of running to God as our single-hearted desire, we immediately go on the attack. We run to slander or gossip. We feel a threat. We, we actually have a threat in our life, and we immediately dwell in anger and malice. We consider, how do we get revenge How could I really take this to this person? Let them have it. We hide ourselves on social media and we make exclaims and shouts of destruction instead of joy. We speak words of death instead of life. We're afraid and so we go on the attack. We say if God's not strong enough or if God's not good enough to handle this, if he's not good enough to handle this person or these people in my life, then I have to do it myself. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. My heart says, your face, Lord, do I seek. So what is your heart saying this morning? What is your heart saying this morning in the midst of whatever is causing you anxiety, whatever is the threat in your life, whether it's internal, your own thoughts, your own lies, whether it's a person 
whether it's a group of people, as we look around ourselves in this culture, what is your heart saying this morning? David helps us to see that it's not just what our heart says, but also what should our heart do? What should your heart do? Once again, look at verse 14. It's the last verse in this psalm. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Let your heart take courage. This is a a conscious act, taking courage. God is calling us to actually do something here in response uh, to the fears around him and what God has asked him to do and how he in his heart is saying that he wants to seek the face of the Lord, to be with the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty. And so in, in doing all of that, we take courage. We have to ask, what is courage? What's the definition of courage? When we, when we see in Psalm 27 that we're to take courage, is this some type of inner strength? Is this what the psalmist, is this what David is asking us to do? Uh, when, when you hear, take courage, are you immediately thinking something from within, something that I need to muster up in the face of anxieties or fear? Do I need to access in my own power something that's inherent to me? It's inner strength. Is that what we're talking about? David clearly points to something or someone outside of us. And it's the very first words of this psalm. The psalm begins with, The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. The Lord is the source of our confidence and courage. What is courage? The Lord. Where do I find it? In Him. He's my light. He's my salvation. He's my stronghold. And we take hold of this courage. We take, we take hold of courage by faith. You see, fear is natural. Fear is what's baked into the cake, if you would, in a fallen world. This is what we're going to experience naturally all around us. Fears, threats, enemies, adversaries, foes, false witnesses, people that should have loved us but forsaken us. Fear is natural. Courage is supernatural. This type of courage is supernatural, and we take hold of it by faith. Actually, David uses the language of faith. If you look there at the beginning of verse 13, he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Language of belief. Do you believe the same thing this morning? Do you believe that you will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? When David talks about the land of the living, he's actually referring to today. He's referring to, will God show up and will I be able to see his goodness today? Will God, will God come through today with courage and will I be able to look upon his goodness? So we look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living today while we wait. While we wait as exiles in Babylon, as Zane was just talking to us about as we read through Jeremiah 29. Here we are, just like uh, the Israelites in exile in Babylon. We, too, are exiles waiting for the Lord. What happens when it appears that our adversaries and foes 
Don't stumble and fall. Look again at verse 2. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. If we're honest this morning, we, we seem to be in a place so often when our adversaries don't stumble and fall. What do, we, what do we make of that? What do we do when we consider that our adversaries, the biggest threats that we can perceive around us or from within us are not stumbling and they're not falling. They, they're still here. They're still persisting. They don't seem to be going away. Sometimes God will relieve us from our current enemies and our current attackers. Sometimes he does bring Relief. Sometimes he does relent and those things are no longer a part of our lives and we see them fade away, but sometimes those troubles will persist. Sometimes these adversaries and foes and enemies are still around, but God gives more courage. He gives more courage. Let your heart take courage as we wait for that ultimately blessed day the second advent when Jesus Christ comes for us. That's that's the reality of where we are today, is that sometimes our troubles and sometimes our enemies seem to never go away, but we're called to grab hold of the courage of the Lord and wait with that courage for the second advent. Verse 1, the Lord is my light. This is actually the only place in the Old Testament where God is described as light. We see uh, this really played out more in the New Testament, obviously, the light of the world. We see God described as light very often in the New Testament, but this is the only place in the Old Testament where God is described as light. But we see this idea given flesh in the person of Jesus Christ the light of the world, the light, the same light that blinded the shepherds in their field at night in Bethlehem on the night he was born. It's the same light. That light has come. Again, this is why we celebrate Advent every year. That light has come. The light has broken into a dark world. Listen to John 1 verses 9 through 11. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Jesus came into the world where enemies abound. Jesus came into the world that it was in the midst of a cosmic war. Jesus endured numerous blasphemies lies from his own people. We, of course, think of several of them right off the bat. Those who were supposed to be the closest to him, betraying him, being a false witness. He was forsaken by some of these same people, forsaken by those who were the closest to him. And even when the punishment of our sins came upon him, when he was forsaken even by his own father, his face, for the first time ever, hidden from his son. Because Jesus loves us, he endured that greatest horror and dread that there ever was. That the one who perfectly and eternally had been with that one thing that his heart desired. Jesus only had one thing 
and is to be with his Father. The one thing for Jesus was to gaze upon the beauty of his Father. And then in this moment on the cross, all of that taken away would seem perfect union from eternity past, now torn in his flesh. He was cast out of the house of the Lord. The suffering servant was turned away in wrath. He was removed from the land of the living. Courage. This is what the cross points to for us because it's where we find our courage because Jesus was courageous all the way to dying on the cross. We have courage because of his courage. But his Incarnation and certainly his resurrection speak a powerful word. His incarnation was a picture, is a picture of light coming into darkness. And certainly his resurrection points us to the fact that the darkness has not overcome the light. We are delivered from the fear of death itself. And so forgiven and freed, our hearts take this courage. We dwell with Jesus. We, we dwell in Jesus. We are hidden in him. We, we sing to the Lord in the Lord. This is where we gaze upon the beauty of God for all the days of our life. And so as we close this morning, let me, let me ask this question. How can we grow in this type of biblical courage. How can we do this? How can we grow in the virtue of godly courage? What does it look like to be courageous in our lives? And we've got to be honest at this point, there, there is a ton of retreating and compromising in the world. We, we see examples over and over again where we don't see courage. We actually see the opposite. We see cowardice. We see retreating. We see compromising. How do we grow in courage? There's also a, a counterfeit courage that we see in our world today. This is the type of courage that tends to be self-important and, and more arrogant. This is the type of courage that speaks like the world instead of like God. There's a counterfeit courage that sees all the different cultural threats and the headwinds that are against the church, but this counterfeit courage shames and belittles others that we see as enemies. So how can City Church be a single-hearted, courageous church, a God-revering, humble, yet confident church, a people that can be brave in the midst of lies, threats, and assaults. In the midst of a multitude of adversaries, from within and from without, how do we live, not by fear, but by courage? To have our hearts take courage. It might mean to stand up for and proclaim God's truth and beauty. To take a stand, maybe, maybe at work. Maybe with a family member. Maybe even in the face of persecution or, or prejudice. What does courage look like? Certainly we can bring our minds to other brothers and sisters in various parts of this world where Christianity itself is life-threatening. That literally brothers and sisters are being killed even as we speak. What does it look like 
to be courageous in the face of persecution and prejudice. Courage might, might be when to say nothing at all. Courage might be, when do I say nothing in this scenario instead of wanting the inclination out of my flesh to say something? Courage is often stepping forward to confess sin. Maybe that's where courage needs to show up in our lives even today. Where's the courage to confess our own sin. It's something that David has on his mind clearly there in verse 9 where he says, hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. The weight and the dread of unconfessed sin, it can bring dread. It can bring fear. Maybe courage is stepping into the light to confess and repent. But we have the assurance. We have this great assurance as those of us who are hidden in Christ, those of us who have been ransomed and saved, that we see his face. We have this assurance in Christ that his courage is grace. And grace is courage. We see his face and we are called to worship with joy. And again, we're, we're doing all of this while we wait for him to return a second time. How can our hearts take courage? Another answer is that we encourage one another. That we receive courage ultimately from God, but then as his people, we offer courage to one another. That word encourage literally means put courage into. How do we put courage in to one another. And the book of First Thessalonians is a place that we can look. It's a wonderful letter that Paul wrote to this church in Thessalonica. It's a reminder in many sections of First Thessalonians that God is returning. So listen to First Thessalonians 4 verses 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Do we have foes and adversaries? Yes, we do. Will people, maybe even people who are close friends and family, will people spread lies about us? Sadly, yes. Is fear real? It is real. What does your heart say? Seek your face. I delight in the gospel. What does your heart do? Take courage. Take hold of the courage of Christ. And then let us together as his church, as people united in him and with one another, let us encourage one another. Let us literally put courage into one another as we wait for the Lord. He is coming again, and so we will always be with him. Let's pray. 
Father, in this season, we uh, desire to hold on to that truth and let it uh, be beautiful in our minds and our hearts. That we would uh, just be incredibly overwhelmed by your goodness. That we would be able to look upon your goodness here in this time. In the land of the living, even with all of the threats around us, the fallen world that we live in, the sin that reigns in so many hearts, the sin that used to reign in our heart and yet still seems to come up from time to time and get the best of us. And so we read this psalm and we understand that we shall not fear, but we confess that we do. And so will you help us? When we do fear, might our prayer be, your Lord, or your face, Lord, I seek. May our first inclination, may our one thing be to be with you, to dwell in your house forever, to meditate in your temple, to sing songs and shouts of adoration to you and praise and worship. Have us to take your courage that was so beautifully displayed on the cross that you despised the shame, you overcame the fear to die for us because you love us. And the grace of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ brings us courage to live in the midst of the fears that we see today. And help us to encourage one another that there is a day coming. In this Advent season, may our hearts be anticipating and rejoicing over that you will come again and there will be nothing to be afraid of. Fear gone forever, unending joy in your presence. Lord, come quickly. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.